Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, um, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. We're starting a new series today called One Body. One Body. And this is a series about the church. And there are a lot of reasons that you could give or that people give for why you should not invest in a local church. There's all kinds of reasons. Um, A lot of people are busy. There's a lot of stuff going on in their lives already. And being part of a church is just one more uh, responsibility. It's one more time commitment. It's one more thing that is on the list. And so being busy is a reason that people may not be part of a church. Uh, Maybe being involved in a church is hard for you because you've been hurt by the church in the past. Maybe your your former church experience, um, you just... You had a bad experience with somebody in leadership, or you had a bad experience with some people, and it left you feeling injured, and so that makes you skeptical about being involved in a church. Maybe uh, you don't like the way that the church does something. Um, You don't like the way that they do their music. You don't like the way that we do our preaching. Um, You don't like the way that we do the invitation or communion, or there's all kinds of reasons that you could think of not to be part of a church, that you just don't like the way they do something, the way they do small groups, or the way they do this, big versus small, whatever. Um, Maybe uh, it's hard to commit to a church because people don't like the pastor. Okay, that's, I know that. Uh, I understand. And in your case, this is especially hard because you have a really young and inexperienced pastor. Okay, and so I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. And so that makes it hard for you to be, you know, really bought in and involved. I get that. Um, Maybe you feel disconnected at the church, and so you feel like, um, okay, we want to be part of a church, but it just feels like we don't have the deep relationships that we kind of thought, you know, like the church advertised relationships, and we don't really feel like we've experienced that, and so maybe that makes it hard. And so, that can be a reason that people have a hard time getting involved in a church as they feel disconnected. Um, sometimes the church can feel like it requires too much of you, um, and maybe you're tired, and maybe you, I, one time I was listening to this guy, and um, we were trying to get him to serve in this way, and he said, I already did that. I already did that. In other words, and this was an older man, and he was looking back, and he was like, yeah, I used to do that stuff, but now I golf. I was like, okay, well, that, you know, he's already been there. He's already done that. And maybe that's your experience too. And maybe you're not even, you know, that old, but you still kind of feel that way. Like, yeah, I used to be super involved in that way. But now I just, I'm just tired. I'm kind of burned out. And I just, I can't, I can't plug in in the same way anymore. Um, Or maybe you have had this feeling before. And this is certainly a thing that people say is I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, but I don't really need to be part of a church. So I can follow Jesus on my own, I love him, but I actually connect better with him when I'm out in nature or when I'm just in my car listening to some worship music or whatever, and so I don't need to be part of a church um, for whatever reason. You know, you can just follow Jesus on your own. There's all kinds of reasons that people could give or that you could give for why you would not be involved in a church. All kinds of reasons. But this is a series about the church. And so this is a series about why the church matters. 
why you should be involved in the church and what it looks like to pursue a healthy church. That's what this series is about. So why does the church matter and what does it look like to pursue a healthy church? What do relationships in a healthy church look like? That's what this series is about. So to do that, um, we are going to learn from one of the key texts in the New Testament about what the church is and what the church is supposed to do. And that's in Ephesians chapter 4. And so for this whole, uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to walk through Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16 together. Um, And so today what we're going to do is talk about what the church's purpose is, what its mission is, why the church matters in the world. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then for the next three weeks, we're going to look at three marks of a healthy church or three qualities that should be present if a church is going to um, accomplish what God has designed it to accomplish. And those three marks that we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 4 are the following. Unity, diversity, and maturity. Unity, diversity, and maturity. If we're going to be a church that, that embodies the ways of Jesus, that fulfills what God's purpose for the church is, then we've got to be a church marked by those three things. So we'll get there the next three weeks. Today is just the introduction. Today is a broader look at Ephesians chapter 4 and what the mission of the church is. Why does the church exist? What's the purpose of it? Why does it matter? That's what we're talking about today. Okay? So today, why does the church matter? Why should you invest your life in the church? That's the question. Now, I'm going to do something that they tell you not to do. And I'm going to tell you the reason up front. Okay? And then we're going to show you how we arrived at that reason. Here's why you should invest in the church. Because God has invited the church and the church alone to display his glory to all creation. God has invited the church and the church alone to display his glory to all creation. That's why you should invest in a church. Now, how did we get there? Well, let me ask you something. How do you see the invisible God? Think about that. How do you see the invisible God? Mark Dever says the answer is you look at the local congregation. How do you see the invisible God? You look at the local congregation. Now think about this. When, when God created the world, when he created our first parents, Adam and Eve, they could see him. They could walk with him. But then something happened where the relationship was broken. And all of a sudden, things were different. And throughout the Bible, there are times where people get a glimpse somehow. Now, God is spirit, and so what it means to see him is kind of hard to know. But there are times throughout the Old Testament where people would get a glimpse of God, of what God looked like. Moses, for example, gets a glimpse of the back of God. Now, God is spirit. Again, so what does that even mean that he saw the back of God? I don't know, but it was amazing. And there are several examples like that in the Old Testament where people got a glimpse somehow of who God is. And then Jesus showed up on the scene. And Jesus said in John chapter 14 that anyone who has seen me 
has seen the Father. Jesus came and he said, hey, do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to see God? Look at me. Look at me. I am God personified. This is why Colossians chapter 1, next month we're going to start a series on the book of Colossians. I'm super excited about it. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. How do we see the invisible God? Paul says, you look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the one you can touch and see. But you can't see Jesus now. At least not in the same way that you could before. When Jesus was on, was on the earth, like literally you could go and touch him. You could give him a hug. You could shake his hand. You could, you know, when he was passing, he could pass you like a bowl of food. You know how sometimes when somebody passes you a bowl of food and you kind of touch their hand and it's a little bit, you could do that with Jesus before. You can't do that now. So how do people, if Jesus is the image of the invisible God, then how do people see God now? And one of the New Testament's favorite metaphors to talk about the church is the body of Christ. Now think about that. The church is the body of Jesus. That means that when people look at the church, they should see Jesus, which means that they should see God. So the church is this unique thing, this unique organism, this unique group of people that is designed to help the world see God. That's what the church is. And in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, that's the point that Paul is making. He starts off in chapters 1 through 3 describing what the church is and how the church was formed. And then he spends the rest of the book, chapters 4 through 6, talking about what the church is supposed to do, what the church is supposed to look like. So here's what he says in the first three chapters of Ephesians. First, he explains what God has done for us in creating the church. He explains what God has done for us. We call that the good news or the gospel. Gospel just means, here's what God has done for you. That's what good news means. That's what gospel means. Here's what God has done. Do you know what God has done? And Ephesians is full of all of these just major, major truths about what God has done. Here's what God has done. He has adopted you into his family by faith in Jesus. He has forgiven your sins. He has redeemed you. He has given you an inheritance. That means a future, wealth in the future. That's what he's given you. He's given you his spirit. He's raised you from the dead. He's seated you in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Do you know what God has done for you? Is he has connected you to Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that we get all that stuff. It's in Jesus that we become sons and daughters of God. Jesus is the true son and in him we get to all be part of the family of God. It's in Jesus that you can be forgiven of your sins because he died on the cross. It's in Jesus that you can be redeemed because he died for you on the cross and he lived in your place. It's in Jesus that you can be raised from the dead because Jesus has been raised from the dead. 
It's in Jesus that you can ascend someday to be with God because Jesus has ascended to be with God. So what God has done for us is connect us to Jesus. That's what God has done for us. He has made a new people by faith in Jesus. The way we gain access into this is through faith. He says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And here's what God has done. He hasn't just done that for you as an individual or for me as an individual, but he's done this for us. He's chosen us in Jesus. Now, who is the us? People of faith, people who trust in Jesus, people who look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need what you can give me. That's the people who have been included in all of this stuff. So if you're here today and you don't know if that's you, if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, the message for you is very simple. It's come and believe in Jesus. Come receive him. Look to him and trust in him. That's the message. So Jesus has done this all for us. God has done this through Jesus for all of us. And the fact that it's an us is very significant. And this is what he talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Here's what he says. He says, he hasn't just, God has not just reconciled you to him, but he's reconciled you to your neighbor. He's reconciled you to your brother and sister in him. And so he goes on this whole long, beautiful um, description of how people with differences are made one in Jesus. In his particular context, the difference that he highlighted was the difference in ethnicity, the difference in race. He says Jews and Gentiles are one in Jesus. In our day, Jews and Gentiles can be one in Jesus. In our day, black people and white people can be one in Jesus. Brown people can be one with white people and black people in Jesus. Regardless of where you're from, regardless of what you've done, you can be one in Jesus. And this is true of any distinction that we might possibly make. Wealthy people and poor people, educated people and people who didn't finish high school, people from big cities and people from rural areas, people from a large family and people from a small family, people who are parents and people who are singles. People who are old, people who are young, people who are men, people who are women. All of us can be made one in Jesus. That's what God has done. So he's done some stuff for individuals, but then by doing them for the individuals, he brings them into this group where he's doing something for us all, where he's making us all one. So that's what Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 are about, is what God has done for us in Jesus. And that's a lot of stuff. Again, you can, I would love for you to go read Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 because it's just packed full of like, this is what God has done for you. This is what he's done for you. It's amazing. And then there's this beautiful little section in Ephesians chapter 3 where it explains why he's done all that stuff for the church. Now, the church, again, the word church just means gathering. It means congregation, assembly. It just means people who come together in faith in Jesus. That's what the word church means. So in Greek world, um, if you were, you know, we're all going to the game today um, to watch the Super Bowl at somebody's house. We're all going to go watch the Super Bowl at somebody's house. In Greek, they would say, yeah, we've got a big uh, church happening over at our house today. We've got a big gathering happening. 
just a normal word that means a meetup, an assembly, people coming together for something. That's what the word church means. And so this church that he's referring to here is the, the, the gathering of faith, the gathering of people who belong to Jesus, okay? And here's what he says the mission of the church is. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Now, he gets to it in, t- in, chapter t- in verse 10, but we've got to read the whole thing to, to get there, all right? Of this gospel, so of this good news, of this news about what God has done for us, which we've just, you know, recapped. It's all a ton of stuff. Of this gospel, I was made a minister or a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So he's saying, God has called me to be a servant of this message, to let people know about this message. Why? So that even the Gentiles, people who are far from God and his culture, even they can know about what God has done. All right? And now he says what the mission of the church is. You want to know what the purpose of the church is? Why does the church exist? Here it is, verse 10. So that. So here's why Paul's a preacher. Here's why he's doing all this stuff. So that, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, did you catch that? That is like so big and grand. The mission of the church, he could say the mission of the church was to help people feel better. And that's certainly part of what the church does. He could have said the church, the purpose of the church is to preach the word. That's certainly part of what the church does. He could have said that the purpose of the church is to build great friendships where people are, are taken care of and their needs are met. That's certainly part of what the church does. But he, he rises above all of that. And he gives this grand vision for what the church is supposed to do, for why the church exists. And here's what he says. He says, so that the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God, the glory of who God is, the greatness of him, how smart he is, how wise he is, how wonderful he is for working all of this stuff together. Here's the, the point. is for that, the wisdom, the, the multifaceted just beauty of who God is can be made known to who? And notice how grand he gets to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the spiritual world that we can't see. He's saying he wants, God wants the angels and the creatures who are flying around his throne in heaven to see how great he is. How? By looking at the church. God wants the angels who have been delivering messages for him throughout all of time to see how great he is. How? By looking at the church. God wants the demons to know how great he is. And how, does he, how are they going to see how great he is, how wise he is, how wonderful he is? By looking at the church. 
God wants Satan himself to know how great and glorious he is. And how is Satan going to come to know how glorious God really is? By looking at the church. The church's mission, the church's purpose, the reason the church exists is so that all of creation can come to know the glory of God. Not just like here on earth, but even in the invisible spiritual world that you can't see. And that certainly then includes the physical world that you can see. God wants mountains to know how great he is by looking at the church. God wants rabbits to know how great he is by looking at the church. God wants your neighbor to know how great he is by looking at the church. God wants all creation to see his glory. How? By looking at the church. The reason the church matters is because God is inviting the church and the church alone to display his glory to all creation. That's why the church exists and that's why the church matters. And so here's, after Paul has said that, here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, therefore, in light of all of this, because of all of that, I, a prisoner for the Lord. So Paul is writing this and he is in chains for this message. He has been imprisoned for preaching the good news of Jesus. And he says, and that's also how he started verse uh, chapter 3. So he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, here's what he's going to ask us to do. He says, I urge you, that is, I compel you, I implore you, I am trying to motivate you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He says, I am urging you to walk. To walk. Now the word walk, your translation maybe translates it as live. It's a word that, it literally means to walk, but it refers to the way that somebody walks through life. It refers to the paths that they choose, the, the decisions that they make. This is why we, we say we want to follow Jesus. We want to know Jesus and follow his ways. That's why we use the word ways. It's because throughout the Bible, this word walk is used to refer to how we follow Jesus. So he says, I want for your walk, for all of your ways, for everything that you do, for everything about you, I want it to be worthy of the calling you've received. And the word worthy, it doesn't mean that, that you have to somehow make yourself you know, live up to this, you know, huge weight that God has placed on you. That's not the idea. The word worthy means that he wants for your walk, for the way that you live, for the decisions you make, to be consistent with this calling that you've received. To be consistent, to match, to be suitable. So as people look at your life, and as people look at our life as a church, 
that the way that we walk, the way that we do things, should be consistent with the calling to which you've been called. Now, here's what I love about this little verse. He says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, a singular word, to which you, plural, have been called. Now, you have to think about this. And if you're not a grammar person, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you. Let me try to explain it. He's saying, you, plural. So, y'all. Okay, I'm from Tennessee. I can say that. Y'all. You guys. All right? That y'all have been called to one calling. Now, does God have a unique goal for you? And are you supposed to take this job or that job? And are you supposed to marry him? Are you supposed to go on a date with her? Are you, supposed, you know, yes, okay, there's a specific call for you too. But what he, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not like, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So if you've been called to be a teacher, then be the best teacher you can be. That's not what he's talking about here. We all have an individual calling, but what he's talking about here is our communal calling, our corporate calling, our y'all calling. So he says, y'all have been called to this. And so y'all need to live up to this. Y'all need to live a life that is worthy of this calling. And what is the calling? What is God calling us to? The word calling literally just means an invitation. What is God inviting you into? What is he inviting me into? What is he inviting us into? What is he inviting the church into? He told us in chapter 3, verse 10, he's inviting us into making his glory known. That's what he's inviting us into. And so he says, live in such a way that's consistent with that. As a church, Devote yourselves to the work in such a way that's consistent with this grand, glorious calling. God is inviting the church and the church alone to make his glory known to all creation. And so he's saying, walk in a way that's worthy of that calling. So why should you invest in a church? Because this is a glorious calling and God wants you in on it. And what we're going to see in the rest of chapter 4, especially two weeks from now, is that he has wired you in a unique way. He has given you some talents and some convictions and some, some uniquenesses that we need if we're going to fulfill this calling. So we've all got this one calling to fulfill. But you've got a unique role to play in that calling. And we need you. We can't do it without you. The church is not built on one person up here with a microphone or two people up here with guitars. The church is not built on three people passing out programs. The church is not built on the seven people who are in Kid City this morning. The church is not built on the two guys who are in the tech booth. The church is not built on the three people who are leading a Sunday school class this morning. The church is not built on Pam Ayers. <laughs> the church is built on us. 
as we pursue God's calling to follow Jesus. So, you should invest in the church because God has invited the church and the church alone to display his glory to all creation. So, today, how can you invest? How can you invest? How can you begin investing in the church? I want to give you two ways. We'll talk more about these in this series. But first is you can invest in relationships. You can invest in relationships. So I'm about to give you two challenges for how you can invest in relationships. Number one, you can introduce yourself to someone you don't know and set up a time to get together. It's literally that simple. You find somebody you don't know, you say, hey, have we met? And maybe you have met and you just have a bad memory and you can't remember their name. No guilt. All right, there's grace here, not guilt. All right, so there's no hard feelings about that. And you just commit now to not being offended if you've met someone before and they don't remember your name. All right, just everybody commit right now. We're not going to be offended if that happens. All right, so, but you can just go talk to somebody you don't know and say, hey, we should get together for coffee. Let's set up a time to do that. Now, you might be like, what in the world am I going to talk to that person about? I have no idea how to do that. I am an introvert. I stick to myself. I haven't done that in 50 years, met somebody I didn't know. So I don't know how to do that. Well, we want to help you with that too, all right? So today on the communion table and on each table as you leave, there is a little piece of paper that has seven questions that you can ask somebody that you're just trying to get to know, all right? And listen, there's no hard feelings here. We're a church. We're a family. So when you go have coffee with that person or have, you know, if you're not a coffee person, you're going to get ice cream or tacos or whatever you, you do to you, okay? But whenever you do that thing, just pull the piece of paper out. There's no hard feelings. Just put it out there and say, all right, pastor said we got to go through these questions and just go through them, all right? It's as easy as that. You'll learn stuff as you do it, all right? So that's the first challenge is find somebody you don't know and ask them to get together, all right? Here's the second way that you can do this is invite someone that you've known on a surface level into your home to go deeper. Invite somebody that you've known on a surface level into your home to go deeper. Now, if, you know, one person invites you into their home and you're trying to invite them into their home, it's like, well, whose home are we going to go to, Pastor? That didn't even work out because if I'm inviting everybody, okay, so y'all can figure it out. Look, the point is go to somebody's house and get to know them in a deeper way. And you're like, but I don't know what I would talk to them about. I don't know how to go deeper. Don't worry. We got you covered. All right. On the same sheet of paper is... Eight questions, all right? Eight questions that you can ask to go deeper. And so there's no excuses, all right? Uh, Literally, again, pull out the piece of paper and just go through the questions. If you're done in 40 minutes, tell them to go home, all right? It'll be fine. So just the goal is to go deeper into relationship with each other, all right? So that's the first thing you can do is invest in relationships. Find somebody you don't know, ask them to get coffee. Find somebody you know on a surface level and ask them to go deeper. All right, that's the first thing you can do. You can do that this week. You may not be able to, like, actually get together this week, depending on schedules. You know what I'm saying, though. You can pursue that, like, today, after the service, okay? Here's the second thing, is you can begin investing your gifts. You can begin investing your gifts. Here's what I mean. 
If you've got some organizational skills, we need you. I'm not joking. We need your, your admin skills. Anytime we create a form right now online for you to fill out, guess who's making that form? Me. I'm not the only person who knows how to log into a computer and make a form. We just need somebody to volunteer to do that, and I'll be happy to tell you how to do it, and you can make the form online. We need those people with those skills. Um, right now, we want more musicians in the band. If you play music, we want you. All right, Uncle Sam needs you. No, I'm just kidding. But, but really, though, the church, the church needs you. And on February 16th after church, you can remember this, February 16th, that's two weeks from today, we're just having a little band practice after church. You can just hang out in here um, and we're just going to play together. And that's a way of you kind of getting in the mix, all right? You don't have to, you're like, I'm not as good as Clayton. Yeah, Clayton's a professional musician, all right? He's like the best musician in St. Louis. So you're not going to be as good as him. But Clayton's not a hard guy to be around. All right, so he's going to make you feel really good and believed in. So just come anyway, and he'll, you'll actually get better by playing with Clayton, right? So there's no, there's no fear. There's no, uh, in, you don't need to feel intimidated about that kind of stuff. You know, I always hate going to new places and trying those things because I do get intimidated. So we're, we're stripping down all of that culture. No intimidation, right? Or maybe you like kids. And you're like, yeah, but Sundays are kind of like, I don't really want to give up once a month to work with kids. I kind of like my routine now. That's cool. That's totally cool. Okay? We're, nobody's ever going to twist your arm and make you get in there with the kids. Right? Because we don't want people begrudgingly doing anything around here. We want it to be out of the overflow of your heart. That's why the offering thing. Look, we're not trying to steal anybody's money around here. We want you to give joyfully and cheerfully because you believe in what God's doing. So it's the same way with serving. But if you have a a heart for kids, but Sundays you're just like, I don't want to commit to that. Maybe you would consider using your gifts in Kid City once a month, coming to the training next Saturday. That would be huge. There's all kinds of teams that you can join. Starting on March 1st, we're going to be doing a all-team huddle. So every team, if you serve on a team, we're all going to huddle together before the service and pray and so we're, hopefully it's going to be a fun thing to be a part of, to be on a team. But you can invest by using your gifts. Um, if you want more information about teams, just go to our website, go to serve on the teams. They're all listed there, all right? We're going to learn a lot more about how all of those things relate to one another in this series as we walk through. Today is just, again, an introduction. But God is calling us into this grand, grand invitation to be a part of making his glory known. And you've got a part to play in that. Your calling is the same as the person next to you's calling, but you have a unique contribution to make. And we need you. So as we try to make two church bodies become one, let's be reminded of the fact that what we are trying to do, Jesus already accomplished on the cross. He himself is our peace, Ephesians 2.14 says. And he has settled all the disputes. And as we press into him, as we seek him, and if we're seeking him rightly, we're also going to have more love for our neighbors, for our brothers and sisters in this room. So 
I don't know what God is asking you to do. I don't know how God is asking you to uniquely contribute. But would you listen to him? Would you ask him? And then would you say yes? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for trusting us with such a grand, grand vision. God, I ask right now that your spirit would be active. If there are people in the room this morning who don't know you, I ask that you would introduce yourself. Would they come to trust in you by grace, grace alone? God, I pray for those who have been hurt or wounded by a church in the past. And the idea of, of getting involved again is just, it's daunting. God, would you speak to them in just such a gentle way as you do? Would you gently guide them back? God, would you give everybody wisdom to know what to do with what they've heard and courage to do it? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.